I'm going to start with uh, a very familiar passage that I was listening to the message of the week, and Andre said this very much so in passing, just throughout this scripture, and I was like, oh, that really something I should look into because I haven't really looked at that, right? So Romans 10 to 9, you know, you know, as oneness people really kind of skip over the verses because we're so adamant about trying to convince people that it's more than that, that we haven't really embraced the beauty of that scripture. So, um, and this is myself included in that. I never really, really, really looked at it and said, what is he really saying to us? And one thing that we want to always be careful of is not to get so bent on our belief in defending our interpretation of the scriptures that we then miss some of the sweetness of the scriptures that we're fighting against because we start fighting against scriptures. Like, no scripture should be fought against. <laughs> it is all the inspired word of God, of course, in its right context and its right meaning, but we shouldn't really be fighting the scriptures. You know, we should all stop and think, like, that don't make good sense because it's all God. So Romans 10 and 9, you guys know this. Um, maybe you don't, hey, like me. So it says in verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So in the previous verses of Paul is addressing the Israelites and telling them that the way that they're going about salvation is all wrong. Confession is a powerful tool. Confession is you proclaiming what you believe to be truth. Faith is what is needed to obtain salvation. It must all begin there. If with your mouth you can confess and believe who Christ is, and that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Now, that's the simplicity of that scripture. If you can have that revelation of whom Christ is and believe it deeply in your heart, you will find salvation. Is there more than just believing? Yes, but it must start there. We sometimes rush people past this point because we're so eager to get them baptized. We're so eager to get them filled with the Holy Spirit that we jump past true belief and true faith. And we accept someone just saying, oh, I believe Christ died. But not really, do you really understand what that means that Jesus is God? Do you really understand in totality the amazement that he rose from the grave and what he got up with. So we don't want to rush folks because we got rushed a little bit. You know, we saying we believe and have faith. We didn't really. That true understanding, revelation of what that means. If you can have the revelation then everything else starts to make sense. And maybe we need to step back and let, them, and let people mature in their faith 
so that they can truly grab hold to salvation instead of just doing works. Because what good is it just to get baptized if you don't really understand what you're doing? What good is it for you to be down there for hours thanking Jesus when you don't even know what you're thanking him for? Just because somebody told you to keep saying it? And then that's why you have so many people unsure. Did I really get it? Is this really God's spirit or did I make this up? Did I conjure this up while I was down there? Folks yelling in my ear, patting my back, screaming and shouting. Was this really God that imparted this to me? Because it's a whole different thing. When you talk to somebody that like got the Holy Ghost just at their home and they was just praying and the spirit fell on them and they just started speaking, it's a whole different thing than you up there kind of conjuring up. You don't need God to conjure. We don't have to conjure up Jesus. He just said if you believe, you will be saved. Calm down. I'm going to get it. You know, and take that in the right context. I'm not saying for folks not to get baptized and, and receive the spirit. I believe in all that. But I'm saying we sometimes have made it about us and not really about God doing his work when he wants to do the work. We got to rush him. That's ridiculous. <sighs> So it is God who calls one. It is God who gives the revelation. It is God who changes the heart. Do we really think that God won't complete the work? If they don't get baptized today, do you think that if he called them into this, that he's not going to make sure they get it to the end? What kind of God do we think we serve? That they're going to come into service here for the first time. He's like, oh, you didn't take it. To hell you go. That ain't the kind of God we serve. All the effort he'd have been into keeping us with him. So I like how the Message Bible translated it. It says, say the welcoming word to God, Jesus is my master, embracing body and soul. God's work of doing in us what he did in raising Jesus from the dead. And that's it. You're not doing anything. You're simply calling out to God. Trusting him to do it for you. That's salvation. With your whole being, you embrace God setting things right. And then you say it right out loud. God has set everything right between him and me. Some of us yet to believe that. We still struggling in my right with God, even after we supposedly have received salvation. So when one can fully embrace that God has set everything right between him and me, they will be on a search for God. The problem some of us have is that we have yet to fully embrace this truth. We have yet to fully believe that everything is right between God and me and that the work that was done on the cross was a completed work. We have a hard time believing that God does all the work and all I have to do is have faith and believe. I watch God transform my heart. I watch God take away sinful desires from me. I watch God give me a heart of flesh. I watch God transform my mind to the point that I am a new creation. It is by grace we have been saved, not by works. It is the gift of God. And when we start making it our gift that we then almost gave to ourselves, we start missing God. 
We've gotten so caught up on us doing everything, making sure we got everything lined up, we didn't hit all the check marks, that we no longer say, God, save me. I'm pretty much so saving myself. And then if I don't do the whole check mark, I'm figuring out I didn't miss God. He didn't left me. Salvation maybe really is not mine fully. Because we don't live our lives as if heaven is a guarantee. We still in limbo. We like there's a possibility that I'm going to hell. Then doesn't that defeat the fact that it was completed at Calvary? If I'm scared that he's going to slip up and just leave me, what scripture supports that? So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing, which is what we did. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. So if we don't fully embrace these facts, then we spend our days trying to earn God's love, grace, and mercy. We get nervous over faults and sins. We fail to be energized by the gift. We fail to embrace his amazing love and are forever afraid of hell with fingers crossed, hoping he wasn't fooling us about the delight of heaven. Because in the end, we're going to end up going to hell because we weren't just good enough. Embracing these facts of love, grace, mercy, and complete salvation frees us to explore all of God and all he has to offer us. It allows me to trust and take the risk of intimacy with him. It allows me to take the rest um, the risk, excuse me, of exposing myself, my frailties, and my sins to the God who chose me and loves me. So if I don't completely embrace the fact that I am saved to completion, then I'm always trying to make sure I can get saved. So that takes away from me really exploring the beauty of God. I no longer just look to see who God is, the magnificence of him, how big he is, how much love he has given to me, I'm always looking to make sure I'm on the line. So I'm on this tightrope. If you're on the tightrope, you can't go exploring. And this is why oftentimes our relationship with God is so awful because we haven't taken the time to truly explore God. So I don't know who I'm in a relationship with. I know that he can kill me send me to hell, burn me up, and hopefully to heaven if I can get it all together. But other than that, how much we know about God? He's one, and we just taking backflips over that as if that was a difficult thing to figure out. And we, what do we have? How much revelation do you have about God? You got to go beyond just saying he saved me. He can keep me. Well, you know, we can do the lingo. Heal my body, save my soul. 
provided me with some oatmeal. You know, we, we can come up with these little things to say who he is, but who is God? <laughs> First thing came to mind. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, and it's amazing how we can scream God doesn't make mistakes, right? You can say that about all of the other folks that we don't feel like God uh, has touched. Yet we often live out our salvation as if he made a mistake. And he's about to realize in any moment now that he meant to choose the other Natalie Lamb that was living in the other corner. Oops, he made a mistake with me. So he's going to pull back his spirit from me and to hell I'm going. It is very important that you know who you are serving. You cannot be ignorant to whom and what Christ is. It will change the very path that you lead once you know who it is that saved you. So let's look at Matthew 16, 15 through 20. Another familiar passage. So this passage of scripture is occurring after Jesus has done some amazing miracles with the disciples. They've seen him work some stuff, do some, you know, pretty Jesus kind of things. Um, the buzz of Christ had been brewing around town. So Jesus and his apostle went, went alone. Uh, I can't think of the name of the city where they were at, but they were off alone. And he thought then that he should gauge kind of where people were at with him. What were they saying? So he asked the disciples, you know, who do men say that I am? They throw out all the terminologies. And then he comes back and asks them, um, well, who do you say? Right? So trust that God is going to ask you some of the same questions. And you can't just give him what you've been told. You are going to have to know for yourself who he is. So let's read it, and then we'll dissect it a little further. Again, I'm reading from the message translation. So uh, 15, he pressed them, and how about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus came back. God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My father in heaven, God himself, lets you in on the secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom, keys to open any and every door, no more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven, and a no on earth will be a no in heaven. And he swore the disciples to secrecy. He made them promise that they would tell no one that he was the Messiah. So let's make sure we get this. They're off alone, having a little bonding time. He starts off with the other people. What do you, they say? Um, and then he's like, okay, some folks think I'm John the Baptist, Elijah, etc. And they're probably looking around at each other because I'm sure they, you know, chit-chatted about this in passing, you know, like we do when we get along by ourselves. We talk about people. Um, <laughs> so, pe 
then, <laughs> Peter then comes forward after he asks, who do you say I am, right? And Peter comes forward mainly because he's the most impetuous one. He's kind of the loud model of the group. Of course, he's going to jump forward and throw out what he thinks. And they, I'm sure they're in unison about this answer. So he answers, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now take note in the early verses that Jesus referred to himself as the son of man, right? Fully God and fully man. He never went off saying that he was the son of God because he kept himself very humble. And I think also, and this is just my own speculation, is him not giving heads up as to who he really was without them seeing the works that he was going to do. So Jesus comes back with a bless you, Simon, clarifies who he is and where he came from, right? Son of Jonah. Then he makes it clear in the nice Jesus way that flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. In other words, Peter, calm yourself down. Don't think you're so great and so high because you got to figure this out as if it was you that figured it out. It was my father, God, who revealed that to you. Now, then he takes it a step further and reveals who Peter is to himself. You are a rock. And then gives him his plan. I'm going to build a church and nothing will be able to stop it. And then how Peter will execute it. You will have complete access to God's kingdom, all the keys to open any door with no barriers between heaven and earth. And what you speak is true in heaven and on earth. We all have that. Wouldn't just for Peter, as if Peter was the one. We are the church. We are all built upon the rock, which the rock is Christ. So we have this same authority to go forth and do this. And then he says, don't tell anybody, because folks need to find this out for themselves. God needs to reveal to them who he is. Because see, if they would have run around running, yelling, screaming, oh, I didn't figure it out he was the Messiah, that would have messed up the plan. He needed to do his work there. He needed people to come to revelation. This is the God man. So then if you read verses 21 through 28, Jesus then reveals his coming death and suffering further revealing the full plan of how he will accomplish the church building, he had to make sure they had revelation before he made them privy to the ultimate plan of God. God gives revelation of who he is. Once you can confess who he is, based on the revelation he has given, then you will receive revelation on whom you are and what he needs you to do. God changes people's names often when he meets them and has them do amazing things. Your name is what you answer to. He wants to change what you've been answering to. So this is why we need to get God revelation so that our names can be changed so we can stop answering to the old man. And the reason why we struggle so much with the old people, the old man, is because my name ain't been changed. I haven't met God enough for him to speak revelations to my heart and change my name. 
Because if you don't know your mission, it's because you have yet to really get God revelation on who he is. You can't be comfy with Jesus just quoting what other folks have to say. You can't just quote scriptures either. Because with scripture comes revelation. So don't be so happy that you can quote stuff if you don't really know the stuff. It's not good enough. So if you need to stay with a scripture for two, three, four, five months, sit there with it so God can give you some revelation on what he wants you to know about his word. You need to have an intimate encounter that your mind is blown because you truly get who God is. That scriptures then actually become the living and breathing Jesus sitting with you. We miss this opportunity too much. And you can't control what, when, and where God reveals it to you. And ain't that the hard part? I want to say I'm going to have prayer time right now, 5 o'clock every morning. I'm going to read my scripture. Now, God, show up now and tell me what this means. You can't always organize God. You can't always put him in your list of things to do today. With Jesus, we get to meet at 8. He may not want to meet at 8. He may want to wait till 10 o'clock that night and wake you up. Now, will you get up? Because he don't want us to ever think we in control. So sometimes you have to step back from your routine of God and say, I'm going to kind of just flow with you, Jesus. Show me where you want me to go. I'm going to not say I'm going to read the same scriptures every day. I'm not going to pray the same time every day. I'm going to say, God, speak to me. Show me when you want us to have an encounter. Drop a scripture on my heart. Show me you. I don't want this to be about me. We don't like when God acts like that. Because you can read scriptures for years and never really have a revelation. And then one day you read it again, and it's like, good God Almighty, is that what you was talking about? That's God revelation there. We should get that more times than not. And what we often do is we work backwards. So we get an idea, this is what I think God wants me to do. And my purpose usually is, is sometimes outside of God. It's something I like to do. It's a little passion I have or something, making me feel a little happy. And then we try to funnel that through God. Oh, he would be excited if I make a baseball team for the children. He may not care about that. You want to have a baseball team, which you should do. But don't say God called you to do that because that may not be what his calling is. He may have something completely different for you that's about him. So we need to first ask God to reveal himself to us. First step, who are you, God? Throw out everything you think you know. Start clean. Who are you? I would like you to just speak in my ear about who you are. 
not looking to get from God, but to learn and bask in his awesomeness. We're too needy. And we're quite selfish. Because what we do is we come to God really with an agenda. Lord, I need X, Y, and Z. Oh, yes, thank you, Jesus, for giving me life today. But on the back side, can you <laughs> make sure my bills are paid? Can you, you know, protect my children? Can you do all this stuff, heal my body? I'm feeling a little sick. We, all this stuff is on the back end of, oh, yeah, and thank you for saving me. But I'm talking about coming into the experience with just, I want to know who you are. And it's hard to do because we want stuff. And we think we're almost old stuff. So for me to sit there and shut up about what I need and what I want is difficult. Because then you're rationalizing, yeah, well, he knows what I have need of. And I, I should be able, he said, come to the throne, you know, boldly. And it, okay, but what throne are you coming to? And why are you coming to the throne? And what happens at the throne since you so boldly going? We need to get to, you know, these, these scriptures we throw around and, and they, we don't really mean them, but they sound good. You know, the one thing have I desired. The one thing that I can dwell in the house of the Lord inquire in his temple. That's the one thing. Just wait till it becomes the one thing. Pray and ask God, Lord, make it be the one thing that I desire. I don't have that yet. And just quoting it and saying it is not going to work. Lord, I don't have you as my sole desire. We feel bad saying that because it don't sound good. But it's the truth. He can only work in truth. That's right. That's right. That's right. You know, we talk about worshiping him, spirit and in truth. The truth is not just the doctrine. The truth is who are you? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all else will be added unto you. Well, Lord, I thought I was seeking you. I did pray. I'm asking you to give me the stuff. Go figure out what the kingdom of God is. Then maybe he'll give you everything else. If you seek me, you'll find me. The problem is we're not seeking him as to why we haven't found. Him, seek me, not everything around me, not what I can give you, just simply me. Why isn't Jesus enough? Kind of hurt his heart. Like, I'm giving you me, and I'm not enough. I got to prove to you that I love you all the time. If you don't get the little stuff you keep asking for, then that gives you a right to shun me, the God. He promised, promised.
promised, if you knock, you'll find me. If you seek, you'll find me. We're not looking. We don't really want him. Let's confess that. Don't want you, Jesus. I just want what you got to give. Can you be my sugar daddy? And then take me to heaven. So he can't give you the goods when he knows you don't know him. Because, see, that's a luxury. (laughs) You want all the goods for what? Who you give your goods to? Not just some stranger on the street. He don't get to be picky. And again, if you don't know him, then tell him you don't know him. Don't know you, Jesus. Would like to know you, maybe. Then make sure that's the truth. Maybe you got to just start with, I don't know you. Now, Lord, give me a heart to want to know you. (laughs) Maybe where you got to start. So the seeking of God is to just know God. Then you wait patiently for the revelation of who you are in Christ and your purpose in Christ. Remember, he's not given this just because you claim it. He knows your heart. So when the heart is changed into saying, that person wants me, that person really, really is looking for me, then I can start talking to you. So realize that they got to see some amazing things before they got to confess the revelation of who Jesus is. They got to see him in work. They saw him do stuff we wish we could see, (laughs) right? Sometimes we've got to step back from our lives and look at what God really has done for us. And you will see the amazement of the hand of God on your life. We're sometimes too close up on the thing. You know, and when you get real close to the TV, all you can see is just little colored dots. Step back and you can see the big picture. So get up off your problem and step back. See what God has done for you. Not just since you've been saved, but all your life how he's kept you. You know what I'm saying? Step back. Good night. We're so ungrateful. We rush too much. We want too much too fast. God is a patient kind of God. He don't be moving that quick if we haven't noticed. He's very slow with his movement. Because he wants to weigh it out. Let me see what this person really about. What they doing this for? Y'all some liars. That's probably what he's really saying. Right. You don't even know you're a liar. That's the bad thing. <laughs> ah. So we need to just trust in our salvation and let God do the growing and expanding. And that's why I started off with Romans 10 and 9. Because if you can't confess, the fact that you are truly saved, you don't get the rest of this. 
Whenever you find out who Jesus is, it is a gift from God. The fact that we know what we know in this room is a gift from God. And we sit there and we harass folks because they don't get it yet. We want to rush everybody. Just be a witness and let God open them up to who he is. It's not about you. Because <laughs> you're mad at them and thinking they're being pig-headed and, and they don't like God and they're trying to, you know, slam God. Dude, maybe God hasn't opened their heart yet. Maybe they're not ready for the revelation yet. He just needed you to be an appropriate witness. Appropriate witness. Not just up there screaming and yelling about all this stuff, but an appropriate witness working in unison with God. God will give you what to say to whom. If you got the same spill for everybody, it's probably not Jesus that's moving you. It's probably just you. You're trying to get a couple of notches on your belt to say, I didn't witness to, you know, 50 folks this week. And you have been ineffective with all of them. So again, one plants, one waters. God gives the increase. And he gets to let that plant grow when he's ready to. It may take him 20 years. It's not on your time. So whenever we find God, we should be shouting praises that we were chosen for such a revelation. I think we sometimes play that down too much. God gave you the revelation of himself. He don't give that to everybody. And as tacky as we were and are, he still is giving us stuff. That's how much he thinks of us. It's a simple gift. And we need to start being more grateful for the gift. Each revelation, each new understanding, each dot that is connected to the other dot is a gift from God. How kind of him that he did not just save us, but that he grows us and continues to give us new knowledge and new understanding and new glories and new revelation. He could have kept it real simple. But he wants us to know more and more and more and grow and see him bigger and bigger and bigger. Why we want to keep him right here and just be happy and think that's all he got to offer us? But we worried about paying the bill. You were chosen to embody a gift from God. Like step back and think about that from God. Do you not know how big God is? And I think that's why we do downplay it, because we don't know how big God is. We made God fit in our four walls, and that's all we got of Jesus. We got a really little God. So Peter's example should serve all of us of our own humanity, even after revelation and intimate time with God. So don't think that just because you get new revelations 
and you start spending more time with God, that you're not human. We're still flawed, in need of a savior. Peter's betrayal was needed to help Peter to see who he was. Our sins and betrayal of Christ and our calling are here to show us us. They are here to make us run towards God, not hide from him. The hiding of sins is the ploy of Satan. Confession leads to salvation. Confession grants us forgiveness, cleansing, and healing. Confession pulls us out of spiritual darkness. Confession helps me to remember that I am flawed and in need of a savior continually. If you don't own your sins, then you don't need a savior. And the fact that we need to be saved every day means that you need to own your sin every day. Confession reminds me of my need to repent and confession of who Jesus is reminds me that this cleansing and heaven thing is on him. Confession says all is right between me and God. And I hate the fact that repentance now carries shame with it. That we're so mad almost that I got to repent. And then we act like only the sinners have to repent. Right? Repentance makes me feel like I'm a failure, like I'm a loser. Repentance simply means that I need my Jesus. That's all it means, that I'm just me in need of a Jesus to save me. So my frailties were nailed to the cross. My shame was nailed to the cross. My sin was nailed to the cross. My redemption was impregnated on the cross. My advocate was impregnated on the cross. My way of forgiveness and healing and cleansing was impregnated on the cross. The power of the blood of God was impregnated on the cross. And when he rose on the third day, these babies were born full grown and complete. And now I am sealed until the day of redemption. No question. No going back. So if I confess with my mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I shall be saved. That scripture is powerful. So now I'll ask you, who do you say he is? Not what others say he is, but who has he revealed himself to be to you? Do you live your life consistent with that knowledge? Have you searched the scriptures for whom and what he said he is? Have you waited for God to open it up to you so you can fully believe? Have you stopped and asked God to reveal himself in that matter to you? Because if you haven't made those steps, you're not going to get no more closer to God. 
Now, when you know who God is for you, which has to, of course, be based on his word and your experiences with him, then you can start creating an exchange with him. When he told us to occupy until he comes, that means that we create an exchange with him. We give him our stuff, and he gives us his stuff. But I won't start an exchange with someone I don't know and trust. And I surely won't give a stranger my most prized possessions. And our prized possessions are often our sins and weights because they keep us safe. Yet scripture tells us where sin abounds, when it overflows, grace that much more overflows. So our sin cannot overthrow the grace of God. And that's why it says, do you sin so that grace may abound, God forbid, because he knows that his grace is always going to cover our sin. It's how he created it. God forbid you would use his grace and not cherish and respect the gift of it. God forbid that you would use his grace to stay in a relationship with Satan. God forbid we would use grace that way. But we cannot deny the fact that the scripture says that grace always overflows the sin. See, that makes us nervous. Because I don't really want to give myself permission to sin. Because I'm afraid that I'll just go buck wild with it. <laughs> He's going to cover me. And this is the reason why we often don't focus on these scriptures, even the completion of salvation, because we're afraid of giving ourselves the ability to go that far. So we put ourselves in a lock hole and we say, well, God couldn't have completely saved me. God could not have saved me that moment. It, it is guaranteed until the end of time. There has to be something with that that's not truth. And it's because you don't trust yourself. And you don't trust God to be able to change you so drastically that you would never use his grace to cover up your mess. But see, that's because we don't know God. Because God hasn't transformed our hearts and minds. So I'm still operating in this very sinful, fleshy, earthly-sided kind of look at the world. Once I get a God view, once my heart has been changed into pure, soft, wonderful flesh that God gives, and my mind is transformed into the amazement that I am in a relationship with the God of the universe, and he called me, and he wants me, and he's never going to let me go? Why would I want to just fool around with, with some little earthly stuff right here? Will we be tempted? Absolutely. But my heart will never be connected to 
The desires of me begin to change. Do we think God can't do that? Do we think we'll always be a slave to our sinful mentality? He devised a plan. He got himself up after death. You think he can't change your little mind? He's God. Let's make him a little bigger. So what is standing between you and God? Whatever is between you two is what is keeping you from fully knowing God. God is often hiding where our greatest fears are. Now, will you expose the fear to find God? Will you confess it to find God? We often try to control God by the way we think and believe him to be. I think my sins are too big for God, so I carry them myself. I think God is out to get me, so I'm defensive with God. I'm sure God is angry with me and will never see me in a good light, so I continue to do behaviors so I can hold on to that view. I think God is like man, so I ascribe him the same negative views of those who have hurt and betrayed me. Confess what is standing between you and God. Confess you hold your prized possessions as grander than God. Confess that it takes me to become completely, if it takes, excuse me, me, to become completely vulnerable and surrender to you that I have chosen not to get to know you. If it requires me giving it all up to get a view of you, I'd rather just not know you. Confess it. Confess I don't believe. Confess I don't think you love me. Confess I don't want to relinquish that thing you keep telling me to let go of. I want to hold on to it. Now, after confession, then what's the step? Part of it is you sitting back and watch God do a work on you. Now, the harder you hold on to anything you confess, the harder he's going to work on you. So we almost get to choose how hard our path will be. And a lot of it has to deal with the fact that we don't really trust and know God. So I'm holding on to my stuff really tight. So this tug of war is looking like kryptonite and I'm the one burning up because he's not letting go. So he's going to keep pulling because you are going to become what he called you to be. You don't really get a choice in that. He called you. He chose you. He saved you. You will become the creation. Y'all can fight. <laughs> Y'all can wrestle. We can do whatever we want to do. But at the end, God's will will be done. And we need to see that as a perfect will. That what he wants out of us is a good thing. Him doing all this beating on me is a good thing. Know that meeting Jesus is never comfortable. When you run into Jesus, when you choose to step in his presence, he will cause a revolution in your heart and soul. 
A revolution is defined as an overthrow, a radical and pervasive widespread change often made suddenly and violently. It's a procedure. If you were not constantly being changed and growing in strength and courage, then you need to find Jesus. If what you've been meeting up with and there's nothing going on, it's not Jesus you're meeting. Maybe it's just, I don't know what you, who you've been talking to, but it's not Jesus. Because when he just rubs up against you, he causes, you know, a, a revolution to occur. That's why our lives should be so much grander. Because he's, you know, he, he flipped the world, y'all. He came in and changed stuff that never happened before. Folks walking, blind folks seeing, that never happened before. The fact that he can say the very sin that is continuous, right, is cleansed. Yet we sin every day. Yet in his eyes is cleansed. Because he only sees himself. You think you're grander than what you are. He just sees him. That's why he's so confident that you will become what we called you to be because he knows he can't mess up. God, me and him working together. That's craziness. I mean, you think about who we really are with our trifling selves. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, yes. Not all that bright. Not all that crafty. And he's like, you are something else. Like he's so excited to have us. It's a little crazy. And I think it's why we can't hold on to it because it's like something about this picture just don't seem right. Like why are you so excited about me? Have you ever met somebody you don't really know but they're real happy to know you? And you're like, why are you that happy to know me? Because if you really know me... <laughs> But you know that people that just really giddy and you're like, that's God. You know, he's like, oh, you people make me so happy. Get so mad at the same time, I'm sure. You know, because like when you get it together, why is it taking so long? I've been doing this work for how long? Y'all done seen so many examples of the past. You got some good examples in the past. What is taking so long? You got to be just a little frustrated. We sorry, Jesus. We really trying to get ourselves together. We just a hot mess, so please work with us. And you're mad at your own self for not getting it right. Ah. See, we should be constantly brushing up against God and every time we brush up against him we should be receiving something some continual revelation of God what he has for your life what he wants you to do you know you shouldn't ever just read a scripture and it's like yeah, yeah. if that's the case then stick with that scripture till it's like 
Look at that. That was pretty good thing you just said right there. Good one, Jesus. You should have that on a continual basis. Hmm. So just a little bit of who God said he is. So if we look at Matthew, and I'm not giving you guys, go look up yourself. Um, he says in it, he says, I'm meek and lowly. He says, I'm a God of the living. I am with you always. John, he goes on to say, I'm the bread of life. I'm come down from heaven. He says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the resurrection. I'm the vine. And Acts, he goes on to say that I am with thee. So go and find out who God said he is. Like, start there. Just look up I am. You'll find a whole lot of stuff. And then sit with it until you get a revelation about the door. So we've heard everybody, the door. What does that mean? That I am the door. Like, he used that word for a reason. That I am the vine. Figure out what the vine means. Go study it. We're smart people, smart enough to be able to read a couple of books. Right? We research everything else. We can sit on the internet for, for hours Googling. You know what I mean? We can spend hours doing silly stuff. And I'm not saying that it has to be in comparison. I'm just saying that our priorities have to get a little better. And trust, when God gives you something, it's going to carry you for a little bit. Because he blows your mind with stuff. So if, if your encounter don't just sit with you for a minute, you just like, that was some deep mess he just told me. Not mess, but you know what I mean, good Jesus. Um, that, that was really good. Then you need to go back, sit with Jesus a little longer. Let him talk to you. Figure out who he is. Figure out his voice. You got to know the Jesus voice for you. If you don't know the voice clearly, you're missing something. Because he really has more to say to you even than the scriptures. Sometimes he's just going to whisper something to you just to get you straight. And you're like, shut up. That was, that was a good one. That's going to carry me right there. And when God speaks something to you, you never forget it. You're just like, dang. And at the beginning, first you like, is that really God? Like, Jesus, was that you? Just, can you say it one more time just to make sure it wasn't me making that up, you know? And he's good with that. He'll confirm himself over and over and over for you. And the trip thing is just share my own business. When I first started hearing God's voice, before we even got married, so almost 20 years or so. I wasn't all that spiritual back then, but I knew the Jesus a little bit. And the thing that he said to me over and over is, do not fear. I shall provide for you. And the first pronouncement was that was right before I was about to get married because I was completely freaked out. Um, what the heck am I about to do? Nothing against him just because I was way too young to be really getting married to somebody. And that simple sentence, he spoke to me over and over and over again. But guess what? Not till, what, like five or six years did I really get how much fear I had in myself. Like he kept telling me, don't fear, but I didn't even see myself. See, I was like Peter when he told me, you have fear, dear, 
And I'm like, I ain't afraid. I'm a good about myself. I'm not really a scary kind of person. And then it took my mother dying and all that other good stuff to show me I am full of fear. So I'm like, oh, he's been trying to tell me foot for 20 years. Could you stop being afraid? But I needed this revelation of how much fear I was in so that I can get how peaceful God wanted me to really be. So he's been telling us stuff for a long time. We just haven't really been listening. So to get us started on who God said he is. Um, already read that, never mind. So I'm going to <laughs> Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to do 10 through 13. So Isaiah 43. And it says, but now God's message. The God who made you in the first place, Jacob, the one who got you started, Israel, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name, your mine. When you're in over your head, I will be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior, I paid a huge price for you. All of Egypt with rich Cush and Seba thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. So don't be afraid. I am with you. Let that sit with you. I am with you. You're not going down. Your hard place is not a dead end. I love you. I will seal creation for you. Verse 10. But you are my witnesses, God decree. You're my hand-picked servant so that you will come to know and trust me. Understand both that I am and who I am. That I am and who I am. Previous to me, there was no such thing as a God, nor will there be after me. I, yes, I am God. I am the only Savior there is. I spoke, I saved. I told you what existed long before these upstart gods appeared on the scene. And you know it, you're my witnesses. You're the evidence. Yes, I am God. I've always been God, and I will always be God. No one can take anything from me. I make who can unmake it. I've done this with you. Can't be undone now. Right? That's, that's, that's the God we got. And we pitifully patting and worry and scared and confused and what in the world? So 
So when you get in a bad place, run back to, to Isaiah 43 and sit with that until it becomes truth for you. Now we're going to read Psalms 40. It says, I waited and waited and waited for God. This is David talking. At last, he looked. Finally, he listened. He lifted me out of the ditch, pulled me from deep mud. He stood me up on a solid rock to make sure I wouldn't slip. He taught me how to sing the latest God song, a praise song to our God. More and more people are seeing this. They enter the mystery, abandoning themselves to God. This is what he's asking us to do. Abandon yourself to God. Blessed are you who give yourself over to God. Turn your back on the world's sure thing. Ignore what the world worships. The world's a huge stockpile of God wonders and God thoughts. Nothing and no one comes close to you. I start talking about you, telling what I know, and quickly run out of words. Neither numbers nor words account for you. Do something for you, bring something to you. That's not what you're after. Being religious and acting pious, that's not what you're asking for. You've opened my ears so I can listen. So I answered, I'm coming. I read in your letter what you wrote about me, and I'm coming to the party. You're throwing for me. That's when God's word entered my life, became part of my very being. And these are the, you read Psalms and you read David, we need to be having testimonies like this. We, we, are, we need to step up the game a little bit. Right, why are we not writing these same things? And David was, you know, he would put his mess out there. When he didn't believe, when he was, you know, like, what's taking you so long? Hurry it up. That's why he was a man after God's heart, because he spoke truth. He stayed in his truth. But at the end of every Psalms, he always found his way back to God. His faith was renewed. He remembered where he came from. I'm not saying don't have your little pity party because we're going to have them. But don't get so caught up in your thing that you miss God. You know what I mean? Don't get so, oh, man, God is this, this, and that. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth now. He don't owe you nothing. Be grateful for everything he gave you. Where's your breath? And we never, because we're never grateful. from us. It's never enough. He done made a way how many times and we concentrate on the time he don't come through. That we say he don't come through. Because it don't look the way we want it to look. If you would shut up for a moment. Sit back and say God give me wisdom as to why I'm here. And why am I here this long? Let me tell you something. I was praying and I was you know, fussing at the Lord a little bit because I, it's a situation that I really feel like it should come to an end. 
It's been long enough. And that's my opinion. I just got to give Jesus what I feel. And I'm saying to him, you know, what is taking so long? Like, it seems like you are about justice. You are about, you know, vindicating people, getting us on the right path, all that good stuff. What is taking so long in this situation? Because I see so much devilment being able to continue. I'm confused. Now, I need you to speak to me and tell me what's going on. <sighs> he always got to talk back. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm, you know, yeah, a little tearful, praying, feeling a little hurt because he's taking his time. And uh, he told me, you know, pretty much so hush for a moment. And the problem is that you want to get up there and wag your finger at folks. You want to prove to people that, you was the good one, that everything was okay, and they should pay, and you're kind of looking for them to come back and say an apology, and he tells me, that's not what this is about. This is about me. So when you're ready to give me the glory in this, maybe some things will change. <gasps> Jesus. No, I was a little like, well, Lord, I was trying to give you the glory. <laughs> was giving glory to you, Jesus. I mean, and uh, uh, okay. I said, well, you're kind of right. I do want to wag my finger just a little bit. I just think that maybe we should be able to do just a one. Just, just. <laughs> it ain't about you. This is about me. And I can't change things until you stop trying to make it about you. And you say to God, be the glory for everything. See that? See, and that's what the Jesus does. Every time you have an encounter with him, if you're praying from your heart, he's going, and he usually slaps you in the cheeks. Because we are so selfish in, in, about ourselves, and we try to cover it with a little Jesus. But... It, Take a seat is what he told me. Because you're making this about you. And you I, I can't do my thing if it's about you. I can't change stuff. It's about you. It's always got to be about me. Look, we're saved, but that's because it's about him. It's not about me. Nobody wants that. I will take your money, too. Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, actually, I wasn't. But um, <laughs> speak the truth, right? Uh, <laughs> but you see what I mean? So it's like we've got to make sure as you know, we can think that we're so spiritual, right? And we got to show together and all this. You got to make sure you keep rubbing up against God. So he can keep showing you, you. Because it's probably going to take until we hit the dirt or he come back and get us for us to get ourselves completely right. Right? Our sinful self. See, then you got to repent. Lord, you're right. I just want you to, good night, move when I tell you to. That's all. And I know it ain't right, but that's what I want. 
<laughs> so God wants his word to become part of our being. He is the word. So he wants to live it through us, that it energizes us, that it really does become our daily bread, that it's like, man, I've got to get some Jesus in me so that I know what I'm doing next. Because if I leave it to myself, I know I'm going to mess the whole thing up. And that's even with stuff you're about to do. Shh, for a moment. Make sure God's telling you to go. Make sure God's telling you to speak. Like, really pause before you're about to do it. Jesus just, I'm pausing because it sounds so good for me right now. It feels right. No, Jesus is with me. You know, it just stop. I need just reconfirm with me so that I don't get it about being that I'm about to mess the whole thing. You didn't got the whole plan together. You didn't move folks. You didn't put stuff on folks' heart. And I'm going to come move at the wrong time. It messed the whole thing up. Now, you got to start all over with a new group of folks to get me where I'm supposed to be. Hmm. Shut up. <laughs> oh. So it's not about us again just coming back and trying to get God to approve of us. It's about us being able to confess that everything is right between me and God. Like I want you guys to really go home and really look at that Romans 10 and 9. That is some powerful words. Powerful words. Confession is our key to so much. As they say, a closed mouth don't get fed. Open your mouth up and get to talking. Get to speaking this stuff. Remember, we have the power of life. Sometimes we don't get stuff because we are too closed-mouthed. And oftentimes our mouth is closed because of our pride. I don't really want to be coming to God, saying all this, and I sure don't want to be exposing all my mess. So I keep it to myself. Confession, powerful too. He has provided that for almost everything for us. Salvation, healing, forgiveness, cleansing. Confession. Don't make nobody let you feel, make you feel ashamed that you need to confess. Some folks got to confess more than others. I'm a confessor. I try, I'm confessing stuff almost every day. Lord, I didn't let me give this to you. I didn't mess up again. I thought I had it right. I was just telling somebody else not to do something, and I didn't done it. Good Lord. Here you go, Jesus. And trusting that he took it, washed it up, and it's gone. I don't have to carry this stuff on me no more. Because if you're still carrying your stuff, that means you don't truly believe that he knows how to forgive. And he don't know how to throw it in the sea of forgiveness. He's just holding it with him because you're just so special. <laughs> so again, I want you to go back. Really look at Isaiah 43. That's who God is. 
you got to get to know that God and realize that that's the God that's requesting your presence. That loving, amazing God that just wants to give you the revelations of his heart. He can't give you his revelations because you don't want them. That's the God that called you, that chose you, that redeemed you. That's the God that dares you to come taste and see how good he is. Dare. I'm really good. There is no need to be afraid. For his perfect love has casted out all fear. If you have fear, it is only an illusion from Satan. Once God casts something out, it's gone. His love does not become perfect. It is perfect. His love already completed the task of casting out fear. So if you're walking in fear, it's not truth. It's just an illusion. You got the scare tactics of Satan speaking in your ears. Change your radio frequency. Get the revelation of God, and I promise you, all your fear will be gone. Know who he is. I'm a witness. That fear thing had me for so long. Gone. Like shocked gone. Like what? Gone? Gone. Because of God. I know him. In the little way, he's allowed me to know him, but in the big way that I know him, I've got nothing to be afraid of. Whatever comes, comes. Whatever I don't get, I don't get. Whatever happens to me, happens to me. I got no control over it. I might as well walk in the peace and the knowing that my God will get me, will cover me, will take care of me. What's the point of all this if I can't even live in that? He shall provide whatever I have need of because he's the I am. That's personal for me. He is all that I will ever need and will provide everything I ever, 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 ever need. So I'm have Jason come back up because this is a song that hit me when I finished. And I, I when he's singing this, like, I really want you to ask God to let you see that he is real. He's real. This is not a figment of our imaginations. This is not something that was written, that was made up. He is real. Let him transform your life.